As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Irreverent, entertaining, cool. You're listening to LA Talk Radio. You're listening to All Things Therapy with Lisa Tahir only on LA Talk Radio. Welcome to All Things Therapy. I am your host, Lisa Ta here. I'm a licensed clinical social worker practicing as an intuitive psychotherapist. I am certified as a Reiki level two practitioner as well as an EMDR. You can reach me to watch past episodes of this show or listen. Sorry, I'm a visual person on my website, nolatherapy.com, the abbreviation for New Orleans, Los Angeles Therapy. And you can reach me there if you're interested in being a guest or a sponsor or to order my book, Surrender, A Psycho-Spiritual Healing Guide to Treating Anxiety and Depression. I am going to unmute the mic, Marianne, for my guest as I as I bring you into this introduction. Today, I am with Marianne Williamson to discuss her most recent book release, Tears to Triumph, The Spiritual Journey from Suffering to Enlightenment. And Marianne, besides this being your seventh New York Times bestseller of 11 books that you've published so far, you're an international speaker on spiritual truths and principles You've been a spiritual advisor to major world leaders, and one of the things that I've really uh, respected about you the most is your approachability <clears throat> and how sincerely you give your time to others, including me, since we met a couple of years ago here in Los Angeles, and you just tell things straight without bullshit, and I appreciate that so much about you. So welcome. Well, thank you. That was very sweet of you to say, and thank you for having me on your show. I appreciate it. You're welcome. So, so your book. Tears to Triumph. Yeah. Uh, you talk mm-hmm. about collective and individual heartbreaks, taking these lessons learned and applying them more deeply instead of numbing and distracting. Where, where do you want to begin with today's show? Well, I, <clears throat> we can just begin with the main thesis of the book. And first of all, I think it's important that we remember that heartbreak is part of the human experience and always has been. It's nothing new. What's new is that we have medicalized normal human despair. You know, you have a heartbreak, you have a bitter divorce, <clears throat> professional failure, you can't find a job, you lost your job, you lost some money, somebody that you love died. 
these are painful situations in life, but they are not mental illnesses. Right. And so psychotherapeutic drugs, which can be very beneficial, even life-saving, in the case of serious mental illnesses like schizophrenia or bipolar, right. are now being subscribed to situations that are really just part of the normal spectrum of human suffering. And this is a very <clears throat> dysfunctional reaction to human despair, and it's also very dangerous. The FDA has issued a black box warning that for people 25 years old and younger, antidepressants actually increase rather than decrease the risk of suicidal ideation. They do. So we all have to, like, wake up now because <clears throat> too many people are on meds, too many people are giving their children anti-anxiety drugs, even their, their children antidepressants. And I think we need to realize that psychic pain it's like physical pain. It's there for a reason. It is. It conveys a message. And you don't just quiet the voice of your pain. You listen to what the pain is telling you. If your arm is broken, of course it's in pain. You can't just take morphine. You have to reset the bone. And if you're in psychic pain, we have to look at the deeper reasons. And the deeper reasons have to do with our thinking, have to do with our behavior, our, our need to develop the kind of spiritual musculature, psychologically and emotionally, that gives us <clears throat> patience during times that are difficult, gives us the ability to navigate the tough times in life. If you don't know how to navigate the difficult times in life, you don't know how to navigate life. Yeah. And you become sort of emotionally and developmentally stunted. And this is a time in our world with everything going on these days, <clears throat> we need to all be very serious grown-ups. This is the time for very serious, sober People. These are somber times in some ways. And when it's a somber moment, the, the thing that is appropriate is that you be somber. You know, last week it was Istanbul and it was Bangladesh and it was Baghdad with all the horrible violence. This week it's Baton Rouge, Louisiana. It's right. Minnesota. This is, this is a very <clears throat> Disturbing painful, time. in some ways, time we're living in. And we must not look away. Where, would we be better off? If the abolitionists had not been so upset, would we be better off if Susan B. Anthony had just known how to chill? Would we be saying to Susan B. Anthony today that she needs to stop creating so much drama everywhere? No, these are times for us to, to recognize both in our own individual lives and in our society. Uh, what have we done wrong? What do we need to atone for? Where do we need to change? Where do we need to forgive? Where do we need to practice mercy? Where do we need to stop blaming others for our problems, stop being a victim, stop withholding forgiveness, stop withholding love, and realign our thinking and our behavior with love, which is alone the only wisdom and the only truth. Yes, and, and you talk about, you know, for us to stop seeing every bit, every bout of depression as an intruder that has to be shoved out of the house. And it, it made me think of that Rumi poem that talks about this being human is a guest house. And, and the wound mm -hmm. is the place where the light enters us and how important Absolutely. it is to lean into those edges like Pema Chodron talks about and when things fall apart and all the information that can be gained when we are depressed and anxious and, and in some kind of psychic, emotional or spiritual pain. You know, in the book, I talk about some of the dark nights of my own soul. Yeah. And the things that I learned there. I learned to not treat life like a joke. I learned to be more responsible with my own feelings and with other people's feelings. 
I learned to rise to the occasion in life so that I would be better and that next time I was in certain situations, I would behave from a different place. I learned from the death of my parents, my sister, my best friend, that this mortal ride is is temporary. I mean, I knew it intellectually, but now I know it viscerally. Right. I know to love the people in my life because you've got to suck the juice out of this life experience. It's not disposable. It's not to take for granted. And those are the things of wisdom. And I don't think you have to suffer to learn the deeper lessons in life, but I think that obviously many of us do go down that route. Right. And the point is, will this make me a better person? Will it make me a more responsible person? And to really eschew this myth being put out there that we all need to, you know, maybe you need treatment, maybe you need meds because this has gone on too long. Who's to say what's gone on too long? Yeah. You know, when I yeah. was growing up, it was understood if you, someone that you <clears throat> loved died, it was, it, people thought of it in terms of a year. People thought of grief Grieving, over the loss of a right. loved one as something that would probably take a year. And Today other cultures that, also. You know, I'm sorry? Other cultures also allow more of a, an extenuated grieving process. Absolutely. So today we've just imposed this business model. Got to get out there. Got to get more productive. Don't feel this way. Get on top of it. Take those, send those negative emotions away. No. <clears throat> if you just seek to send your negative emotions w away, all that you will do is suppress them, and they will bite you in the backside later. They will, you know, and I've been thinking about this whole medication epidemic. I have many potential clients call and ask if I can prescribe them meds and, you know, a client just in the course of, of a relationship breaking up or a natural, <clears throat> grievable experience inquire about medication. And, and, and I think one of the contributing factors is that as a culture, we, like you said, don't like to sit in pain. It slows us down. It uh, isn't fun. Um, you know, and so I think even the medical community's reaction is to kind of like, here, take this pill because I don't really know what to do and, and I don't really know how to help you. So sending someone away with the script is, is easier for them than to sit with someone in their pain. Um, a soul force you talk about bearing witness with another in their healing and how powerful that is. And that's why people like you and I have to talk about it. Yeah. You know, we're not getting in our in their lane, but they're getting in our lane because you can't you can't give a medical solution to an emotional and psychological problem. Right. And, you know, we're all sold the story about, no, it's a it's a brain chemistry issue. But how many people do you know who have been prescribed uh, antidepressants had their brain chemistry checked first? You know, no, there's no, no one blood does. test right. for depression. There's no blood test for depression. It's not like you took a blood test and found out you had leukemia. You took a blood test, found out you had diabetes. You took a blood test and found out you had an infection. The, uh, the diagnosis of, of depression is based on a questionnaire. Mm -hmm. And when you recontextualize away from the medical model and see it for what it is, it's a spiritual crisis. It's the dark night of the soul that <clears throat> everybody goes through at some point or another. We don't have to make it wrong. We don't have to make sadness wrong. We live on a planet in a world that is dominated by thoughts of fear when the yeah. truth of who we are is love. And so we live in this heartbreaking gap sometimes between how life is and how it should be. How, if, if, if you look at the world today from out of control terrorism to, to uh, police killings to climate change, all the stresses that we live with, how could you not be grieving? Right. How could you not be sad? 
Exactly. And so I think sometimes our neuroses are best delineated by what doesn't make us sad and by what does make us sad. You know, it's like the canaries in the coal mine are falling over, so many people depressed today. But the owner of the mine is saying there's something wrong with the canaries. There's nothing wrong with you that you are heartbroken over your divorce. There is nothing wrong with you. This is not a disorder that you are sad about losing a loved one. This is not an anxiety disorder or depressive disorder. That turns you into a victim in relation to your own feelings. Yeah. And it's extremely important that we be victors and not victims. You can't be happy and see yourself as a victim. You can't be happy and withhold forgiveness. You can't be happy and blame other people for, for your problems. You can't be happy and fail to take responsibility for your own life. You can't be happy and fail to show up in life and be available and rise to the occasion. So just like with physical illness, we know now you can't just fight sickness. You have to proactively cultivate health. And we can't just fight depression. We have to proactively cultivate happiness. And doing that is easier said than done sometimes. Going through the process is what it takes to atone for our errors, face where we made mistakes, make amends, make apologies, commit to do better, forgive people sometimes who did hurt us, let go the past, be open to miracles, learn to be patient, learn not to act out when we're sad. Those things are processes, and they take time. And I think they're the only path. Don't finish, and then I'll say yes. Well, just that it's the only path. That's the path of enlightenment, and it is the only path to happiness. Suppressing or eradicating the symptoms of unhappiness does not make us happy. It just makes us numb to our unhappiness. It does. And as you were speaking, I was thinking of how this is a process. As you just said, that a loss happens, an event happens. We perceive it, start feeling depressed, anxious, et cetera, and in a culture that encourages us to just come on, keep going. So I think we lose a sense of belonging and a sense of place when, when something traumatic or tragic happens. And, and we need to go through the grieving process, you know, to even get to a place of starting to forgive ourselves and others and extend that and then, and then close that gap between how we're perceiving ourselves and our true nature divinely. And, and start to bring that together again to feel a sense of wholeness and belonging. Absolutely. That's the issue. You know, even with the death of a loved one, you know, in former times, grandparents lived in the house, grandparents died, children when they were young were exposed to, you know, the death of loved ones, grandparents and so forth. So people didn't have the opportunity to just throw it off into the periphery of life. And so people developed more coping, more emotional musculature, for going through sadness, for going through heartbreak, for going through loss. And like you said, if you have a spiritual context where you know that life lasts forever, that the body can die but the spirit cannot, and you are surrounded by people who love you as you go through these things, that's why enlightenment is the realignment of our consciousness Mm -hmm. with who we are at the deepest level in relationship to a creator, relationship to the universe, relationship to the earth, and relationship to each other. And outside that sense of relationship, Outside that matrix of a sense of belonging, we are blinded and we think things that are false and we have false beliefs about ourselves and false beliefs about others and we act from those places and we make mistakes and then we suffer. So the spiritual message is that life, when it is lived outside the circle of that sense of love that connects us to all life, there will be suffering. And the only way to transcend and transform that suffering is to go back to that light of our love, our compassion, our deep connection to each other, 
<clears throat> deep connection to God, which is our only way to connect to ourselves. That is the path of enlightenment, and it's ultimately the only path to happiness. It is. And and I like how, how often you talk about fear. And of course, in Miracles talks about fear, how we're taught to fear instead of to love. And I think fear comes up as a natural reaction to any change, to anything unfamiliar or uncertain. I think it's natural throughout our day to maybe feel some fear and, and then to inquire of it instead of shy away. Even for myself, moving to Los Angeles this summer and away from New Orleans, where I was born and raised, I have these pangs of fear sometime. Like, you know, where am I? Where are my people? And I just have to, like, I like when you talk about surrendering your lovelessness, because it's, I think that even the part of me that isn't taking in the love that's around me just because I'm in a new place, you know, so it, it's been helpful to just ground and root in some of those spiritual truths and principles of our connectedness when we feel disconnected and fearful. You know, in A Course in Miracles, it says fear is not a thing. It's the absence of a thing. It's the absence of love. The same way darkness is the absence of light. So when you turn on the light, the darkness cannot be there. And when we turn on the love, the fear cannot be there. <clears throat> so if you wake up in the morning and you send your love before you, you mm -hmm. spend five minutes grounding yourself in the memory, I am a being of love and I have one purpose on this earth and that is to love. And you send your love before you to all the people that you know you're going to see that day. You send love before you to all of the, the people that you don't even know you're going to meet today. And you say, my purpose here is to be a love, be a vessel of love as a teacher, a vessel of love as a business person, a vessel of love as a friend, a vessel of love <clears throat> as a scientist, a vessel of love as an artist, a vessel of love in whatever I do. That fills your house with light. It fills your inner psychic house with light. And then darkness can't come in. So neurosis means separation from self. When we are separated, we are dissociated from the recognition that we're only here to love each other. We will suffer because that casts us out into the outer mental kingdoms of chaos and randomness and nothing makes sense and we're isolated and we, we feel that we live in a world of scarcity and we have to compete and we have all these barriers and these fears to love and we get into attack and defense and, and then we're depressed. Right. <laughs> the problem is not that something's wrong with with us. The the everything's working fine. The fact that that causes you pain is your is your system, your psyche telling you something is wrong. Go the other way. And that makes me think of where you talk about you talk about Buddha, Moses, and Jesus, <clears throat> and the eightfold path, and, and right concentration, and right livelihood, and right action, and and such. Those are coming to mind right now as you're talking. Well, absolutely, and that's why I wrote the book the way I did. The book is not just about don't do this, it's about do that. Yeah. And all of the great religious systems, and I only talk about three in the book because those are the only three I have enough knowledge that I can claim any kind of expertise in what the metaphysic is. I talk about Buddha, I talk about the Old Testament, talk about the light of Buddha, the light of Jesus, and the light of Moses. And all of the metaphysical spiritual principles at the heart of the story of Buddha, Moses, and Jesus, tell the same story. It starts with suffering. Mm -hmm. Buddha said, life is suffering. This began his journey, of <clears throat> his, his journey to enlightenment that cultivated with his enlightenment and state of nirvana under the Bodhi tree. God sent Moses to deliver the Israelites when they were suffering as slaves in Egypt, beginning their spiritual journey through the desert, culminating in their entrance to the promised land. Jesus suffered on the cross, beginning the journey to resurrection. So all of the great spiritual teachings 
acknowledge, they point to the fact that living outside the light of God's love, we do suffer, but God delivers us from that. Your own self-will can't deliver you from that. Mm -hmm. Getting new things, new material things cannot deliver you from that. But realigning our thoughts, and that's what in Buddhism, the Eightfold Path, in the story of the covenant of Israel, the ten, what we call the Ten Commandments or the covenant with Israel, and of course Jesus, it's infinite love and infinite compassion and infinite forgiveness. These are the only paths to happiness. Enlightenment is the only path to happiness. And that's why when we learn spiritual principle, even if we don't call it spiritual, you know, these things are also expressed in secular terms, mm-hmm. how to be lo- more loving, how to be more compassionate. That's the way to learn the tools. Those are the only tools by which we can transform the thoughts and thus the feelings that give us such pain. And then I think our behaviors towards ourselves and others also in in that arena. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, part of the problem with desensitizing yourself to your own pain is that you become insensitive to the pain of others. Right. You know, suffering gives you an X-ray vision into the suffering of others. There's a lot of talk today, you know, uh, Tony Blair in Britain, he apologized without exception, without reservation for the mistake that was the the invasion of Iraq. Pretty much everybody now, conservative or liberal, totally gets what a awful mistake that was and what terrible repercussions resulted, not only for them, but now for all the world practically. Mm-hmm. And you know what? What were we thinking was going to happen? Right. Really, what were, we, we acquiesced as a population far too easily to a situation where we were going to rain fire from the sky, you know, what, shock and awe. Well, that shock and awe meant fire raining down on thousands and thousands of men and women and their children who had not done anything to us. Right. That country had not been involved in 9-11, and we knew that. Even if they had, quote-unquote, weapons of mass destruction, this country does business every day with countries who have weapons of mass destruction. Even if you say, oh, he yes. killed his own people. What, you think the Chinese haven't? Because right. we do business with them every day. So the, uh, we have acquiesced far too easily to situations where then we get the consequences and go, oh, no, well, hello. We need to wake up as people and atone for our own errors. You know, Tony Blair gave a deep atonement. You know, I don't know, maybe George Bush will, maybe Dick Cheney will. Maybe we all will right. and deep in our hearts. You know, Abraham Lincoln said a nation must confess its sins, not just individuals. And I think all of us have some things to look at and atone for in our own lives. You know, in Catholicism, that's what confession is. And in Judaism, the holiest day of the year is called Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Mm. And in the 12 Steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, it is said you have to take a fearless moral inventory and address the exact nature of your wrongs. And until we do that work, we cannot be happy. That those things are a cosmic reset button. And sometimes looking at the mistakes that we've made, it's painful. Of course it's painful. Don't numb yourself to that pain because if we avoid that pain, we avoid the game. And that's true of us as individuals, and it's also true of us as nations. And as the collective, the collective issues that run through our personal dramas and traumas, and, and as you talk about in your book, <clears throat> I think that's so important well, that we feel that, especially yeah, now be- with all the uh, shootings and, and such going on. Well, we have a traditional psychotherapeutic model that 
over overemphasizes individual suffering. So when people get depressed, they think it's all about me and my pain and my circumstances. Rather than broadening the outlook to understand that what you're upset about is in many cases what a lot of people are upset about. And if I only make it about my pain, then I fail to address the larger issue. Yes. For instance, a lot of women are depressed because they have to leave their babies at home and go back to work too fast. Well, the issue is for enough of us to wake up to absolutely demand maternity leave, paternity and, mat and paternity and maternity leave like every other advanced democracy. Mm -hmm. And all of this comes about when you put short-term economic gain before love, before reverence, before life, whether it has to do with, you know, a pharmaceutical industry that has, you know, as long as you have a market-based healthcare system, then there is investment in people continuing to take the medicine, whereas in a non-market-based healthcare system, there's an investment in people getting off the medicine when they no longer need it. Exactly. Yeah, and I think the piece about when when we're upset, I mean, I'm guilty of it as well, just thinking of oneself, just thinking of me, 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 like the traditional psychotherapeutic model, and it's never just about us. And so with myself and with my clients, I, I tell them to let's open that thought loop. You know, it, it we tend to ruminate and just, just start chewing on this one particular thought and to open that up to the divine, to whatever they believe, to help add some new information to that. And open up to other people. Yes, so Because, important. you know, isolation is the problem. A sense that you are separate from the rest of the universe and separate from other people is the problem. It's definitely not the answer. So when we do open up and, you know, serve other people who are even more unhappy today than you are. You know, I, I talk in the book about times in my life when I've prayed, you know, for God to take my unhappiness away. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, within minutes, I get some call to be there for someone else. And my first thought was, oh, my God, I can't do that today. I, I can't pick myself up yeah. and do that today. And then I realized that was the answer to your prayer. Yes. The fact that you, someone called you who is in bigger trouble than you are today, who needs you, and you have to get up, and you have to wash your face, and you have to get dressed, and you have to show up for them. This will actually help you, because right now you're spiraling down. Mm -hmm. And I, I remember laughing, thinking that was the answer to my prayer. Yes. So, you know, being in, you know, they've, they've done all this... Um, these studies, you know, where people who volunteer to, to help in situations where they're volunteering, you know, that actually this boosts the immune system. So all this stuff about how depression is, you know, it's, it's brain chemistry. Well, so helping people, loving people, forgiving people changes the brain chemistry too. Right. Meditating brains uh, changes the brain chemistry, the neurotransmitters, the neurocircuitry. It's and our behaviors so and thoughts. So we need to, like, throw away that ridiculous yeah. story. Yeah, our behaviors and thoughts change and shift our brain chemistry. Absolutely. Absolutely. And by the way, I do want to say, and I'm sure you join with me in this, if anybody's listening to this and is on antidepressants, the last thing you ever want to do is just throw them in the trash. Not at all. You know, you can only get off them under very serious, you know, obviously medical supervision. Uh, you never want to go cold turkey off an antidepressant. And and I do a lot of recommending herbal antidepressants like holy basil or St. John wort, like roots, herbs, you know, that are grown <clears throat> naturally to help people as, as an option because, you know, it's like vitamin C. It's, it's not pharmacological, so it doesn't, it doesn't hurt people potentially like, like other medications can. You're right. And you couple that with forgiveness 
and that's what I want to talk about. Yes. And service and prayer and meditation and atonement. And those are the those are the the principles of enlightenment. You learn your spiritual intelligence. And that's what I try to put in the book, you know, that's why there's a paragraph of I mean a whole chapter about forgiveness and a whole chapter about relationships. Because many of the thoughts that we're taught that lead to the behavioral patterns um, that we too often participate in are, are inevitable, uh, will inevitably produce suffering for ourselves or for others. And until we learn to change our minds that determine our behavior, we will continue to experience sadness uh, individually and collectively. Yeah, and can we talk some more about forgiveness? Because it's such a huge piece, just thinking how, how, how <clears throat> the ego is a rabid dog looking for anything, you know, to attach to and destroy and how the ego deals more in transactions, whereas the spirit deals in, in relationships and relating. Can you talk some more about forgiveness and when it's so challenging to do as much as one might want to, to actually the mindset, it? Yeah. yeah. The mindset that dominates our planet is loveless. It is based on fear rather than love. It tells us that we are separate from each other rather than one with each other. And our purpose is basically, as you said, transactional, to get something from each other rather than to share love together. And this puts us in a place of fear. And out of that fear, we defend against each other and we attack each other. And the ego mind, the ego mindset is, as you said, it's like a scavenger dog. It's always on the lookout for someone's guilt. Now, the problem is, on a spiritual level, on the level of pure mind, there's only one of us here. So if I'm attacking you, Mm -hmm. I'm attacking myself. Mm -hmm. I will feel like casting blame on you, judgment on you, will make me feel better. But it will only make me feel better for about 15 minutes. And then it will actually increase my bad feelings. Because if I'm putting guilt on you, I will feel more guilty. So forgiveness is our willingness to extend our perception beyond what the physical senses perceive. Because my physical senses are very focused on that look on your face. I don't like that look on your face. I don't like that tone in your voice. I don't like what you did. So it, I'm constantly focused on the material plane. Right. Now, if I, if I keep my focus there, and enlightenment is the shift of focus from the bodily realm to the spiritual realm, then I will always be at the effect of people's mistakes and people's unkindness and people's lovelessness because I have chosen to keep my focus there. Mm -hmm. But if I, through prayer, through meditation, through forgiveness, through a serious spiritual path, and there are enough of them out there, you know, I talk about uh, Moses, I talk about Jesus, I talk about Buddha, I talk about A Course in Miracles, you know, everybody, if you don't know what your path is, then if you pray inside your heart, books will fall at your feet. And probably most people listening to your program do know what their path is, and if there's a problem, it's that they're not walking it as intensely as they might. Right. We all know that, yeah. right? So if it, when and if we do, then we are emotionally uplifted above the level of mind where we are so attached to it's every little thing well. that people do yeah. wrong. Because you can't be happy if you do that. If I'm going to constantly be pointing out to you what you did wrong, reminding you what you did wrong. Uh, This is not about whether or not you suffer. It's about whether or not I suffer. So we learn to forgive as an act of self-interest because we don't want to be on the cross that we're otherwise just putting everybody else on. You put other people on the cross, you're going to be on one. Mm -hmm. You allow them to rise and say, you know, I 
I'm going to focus on what you did right rather than what you did wrong. I'm going to practice some mercy towards you the way God is merciful towards me. I'm going to forgive you as I like, would want people to forgive me when I make mistakes. It puts you in a completely different emotional and psychological universe, and relationships will unfold accordingly. And yes, for me, it's been particularly helpful to remember mm-hmm. when I'm feeling hurt, feel like I have been hurt in some way, that most people I know want to love and be loved. I think it's at the heart of, of what everyone on the planet wants in some le- at some level. And when I remember that, that this person has to be so wounded or hurt or damaged to just do or say what they have done, it has helped me to slow down the reactions of my hurt child, you know, to react in impulsive, angry, hurtful ways to lash back. So, and the mind truly is a muscle, just like your biceps and quads to be exercised with different thinking than what surrounds us every day in the media and, and such. Well, when I have made my biggest mistakes in life, I didn't wake up that morning intending to be a jerk. Right. You know, I ran into a moment where I was triggered, a moment where I just hit my wound and did not have the presence of mind not to act from it. And you learn that that's true of everybody else as well. And we can live from a place of constantly reminding other people what they did wrong, but we can also live from a place where we are constantly affirming to other people on a deep level of who they are. You know, I might have made a mistake, but my essential spirit is innocent, and so is yours. Mm-hmm. And so the way of forgiveness is not just a particular incident, but it's a particular way of living our lives. And people are angry today, and people are fearful today. That, that you know, we are, it's not just circumstances that cause that. It's the mindset through which we view our circumstances that cause that. And when we ourselves move into a different place where we are less angry and we are less fearful, then we can contribute to this revolution of love that is the only way to transform the conditions on our planet. Yes. When I I hear you talk about that, and you mentioned triggers a few moments ago, I think of the eternal nature of relationships. And you write about, you've written about that, you speak about that. And, and I think triggers in my, in my life, when I'm triggered by a friend or someone, it, it's kind of exciting for me as a therapist, because it's like, wow, there is some real potential for growth here. If the other person, you know, is willing to go down the path also, because it reveals like love brings up everything unlike itself. And, and right. so it's just so there's so much um, learning and healing that can happen in these triggered places with another human being if, if we would allow that transformation. Well, absolutely, because it, it's a detox process. As the Course in Miracles says, you can't bring the light to the darkness. You have to bring the darkness to the light. And the darkness gets brought to the light when we're triggered. And you say, oh my God, I can't believe I acted that way. Everything right. you just said, love brings up everything unlike itself. And if people, and that's why in the relationship chapter, it's about seeing relationships as hospitals for the soul, knowing that's why we were brought together. You know, the ego mind says, well, if you act this way or if in your presence I act this way, that means the relationship isn't working, so we should leave each other. A holy context is the realization that's why we were brought together, because it triggers your stuff and it triggers mine. And if I will use this as an opportunity to practice forgiveness towards you and compassion towards you, and I will use it as an opportunity to own my errors and to 
take responsibility and improve in the places where you have pointed out to me I need to improve, then the real purposes of the relationship are served. And the only real purpose of any relationship is that we are all brought closer to enlightenment. And that's what it's there for. That's all that anything is for, is the purpose of enlightenment. And that doesn't mean every situation is going to be fun, but it means that it will give us an opportunity to see the things, the barriers to love that we need to let go. You know, the Course in Miracles says enlightenment is not a learning. It is an unlearning. Mm -hmm. It is an unlearning of the, the thinking of fear that dominates the world so that the thinking of love that is natural to us that we don't have to learn. It's already etched on our hearts, but it can come to the fore. It can emerge, and and we are bereft and so depressed in life because we are sitting on the truth of who we are when the truth of who we are so much wants to show itself and reflect itself and express itself. It does, and then be healed in the places where there are those wounds that are exposed to be smoothed out, as you talk about. Mm -hmm. And it's the only healing. Mm-hmm. And it's a healing that's so necessary. You know, Gandhi said the problem with the world is that humanity is not in its right mind. You know, why do we have environmental bre- breakdown? Not just because of environmental policies. The environmental policies that are crazy have been, have been reflections of our irreverence towards the earth. Yeah. And far too many cases, there's money there. It's because of whether it's the, <clears throat> it's the money of big pharma uh, or the money of military-industrial complex, or the moneyed interests having taken over our government and our democracy, there's an underlying cancer here, and that's that we've made money a false god. Yes. And until, you know, that's why the first commandment is, you put no gods before me. You know, we need to going back to putting God, making God God, which means making love God. Right. You know, not something outside ourselves, but something, and it's a participatory emotion. Until we put our love for each other before everything else, we will find ourselves cast into these outer kingdoms of chaos and randomness and isolation wherein we suffer. And, and it can feel so overwhelming. For me, what you just said, I think about it and then I start feeling about it and I have the impulse, the fantasy to run to an island and hide. And, and that's not going to help anyone, including myself. <clears throat> no, it's not. You know, at it's all. not going to help you either. Right. Because when you look at, at some of the biggest problems in the world today, there's no place to hide. You there know, isn't. in any situation that is a public problem will making, be making its way to your private door. So, you know, what we need to do now is... Uh, is, is, is awaken uh, to the pain of this moment, to the upset of this moment, so that we can move into the different behavioral patterns which will solve these problems. And for that, each and every one of us has to take part. It's not them over there that's going to fix it. <clears throat> the government's not going to fix it. The government is it beholden to these same forces. You know? So, you know, it's us raising, uh, raising uh, allowing ourselves, ourselves to be lifted up and a different, we become different people. We, we, we dwell at a higher level in terms of how we treat each other, how we treat our families, how we <clears throat> behave as citizens. And that is the answer. It's a, it's a revolution in consciousness and a real field of new possibility that is created by enough of us who are seeing life a different way and acting from a different place. 
Yes, and it, that that makes me think. I know, I know. Tomorrow you have a birthday. Happy early birthday! Yeah, thank you. Yeah, and for me, I turned forty-five a month ago, and as I've gotten older, you know, my thoughts have shifted. Um, you know, more in the direction of I thought like I want to make the world a better place, <laughs> and then recently in the last couple of years, it's like my thought is no, you know, I want to make people a better place, and then now my thought is I want to make me a better place because that will help you know, make the change that I would like to see happen more and more in the world, like taking personal responsibility. And I just wonder, as you've gotten older, you know, shifting your focus and various things um, as have evolved in your books, even Tears to Triumph, what what does this represent for you as opposed to, say, a return to love and, and other publications? Well, as you understand things more and more from a spiritual perspective, you realize there is no separation between you and other people, you and the world. You know, this whole idea, there's the world, there's other people, there's me. Only on the bodily level of time and space does it appear to be other people over there, the world is over there, I'm over here. <clears throat> All of that is part of the illusion. Time and space themselves, as Einstein said, are part of the illusion. Taking care of, of uh, other people is the way you take care of the world, and it is the way you take care of you. Taking care and changing yourself is the way you help change other people and change the world. You know, it, it's all one. Mm -hmm. And so I, I like to think as I've grown older, you know, growing spiritually is not about growing more metaphysically complicated. Mm. It's actually growing more simple in our ability to apply these principles on uh, universal, universally. So I like to think that the difference between me and when I first wrote A Return to Love, yeah. I like to think I'm better at it. But I also realized that when I wrote A Return to Love, <clears throat> life hadn't thrown me a lot of curveballs yet. Uh, interesting. You know, I remember when I wrote that chapter on forgiveness and A Return to Love. You know what my example of having to forgive is? No, what? That a man stood me up for a date. I remember that. In and the I book. remember, yeah, and everybody else was, oh, my God, oh, my God. Well, <laughs> I look back at that now. I thought that's what was tough to forgive. Man, I had not experienced much of life yet. If I thought of an example of, oh, wait, I, too, have had to forgive some really tough things. Let me tell you what happened to me. This man stood me up for a date one day. So, you know, it's, like, easy at that time sure. for me to go on and on about forgiveness. Nobody really messed with me yet. That's, yeah, so, that's great. No, that's great. Know. But it is painful. It is hard when that happens. So I think it reflected a true, you know, diff challenging situation for people. But I love that, that that reflected where you were then and how you had been <laughs> hurt compared to now and, and years later. Yeah, I get that there are bigger things to have to forgive than whether or not some guys did you up for a date. <laughs> I remember reading yeah. that. Yes. If only that was the worst thing I ever had to forgive. Seriously. So what else is important for you to talk about? We have about nine minutes. What direction would you like to go in? Well, I think the important thing is to know that each and every one of us are given, as The Course in Miracles says, a highly individualized curriculum. Mm -hmm. Sometimes people say, where do I start? You start in, on every level with where you are. And I think in our own individual lives, each of us, if we're honest with ourselves, have some things we could atone for to really look through our own lives and ask ourselves, where am I doing my best and where am I not? Where have I done my best and where have I not? Where could I, where do I need to atone? Where do I need to rethink? Where do I need to take responsibility? Where do I need to face where I got it wrong? Where do I need to make an amends? 
Where do I need to apologize? Where do I need to make some kind of restitution? That's an extreme, you know, it's like a cosmic reset button. And it's extremely important. And also, who am I judging? Who am I blaming? Who am I holding on the cross of my condemnation? Mm. Who do I need to just forgive? Towards whom do I need to just practice some mercy? What situation do I not give enough of myself to? You know, these days you're unhappy in a relationship. You go to it too many times. You'll go to a therapist and the therapist will ask, is this relationship giving you everything you need? Right. That's not the correct question. The correct question is, are you giving everything you have yes. to this relationship? Right. I mean, we treat selfishness like it's some wisdom. Right. Selfishness is not wisdom. It's not. You know, we call it self-care. Too many times, old-fashioned selfishness is called self-care in today's world. And and so all of us, if we if we take a good look, and you know, in my people who, if they care to, watch my live streams yeah. on, that are on Wednesday, and you know, they, the link stays available for three days. Right. People can get that on Marianne.com and learn more of the you know principles of a course in miracles and so forth. And hopefully, if if people are either going through difficult times or wanting to know how do I practice more savvy and more wisdom when I do go through the inevitable tough times? I hope that Tears to Triumph is a, is a help to them and an inspiration. It, it is. It's, it's great. And, and you talk about, as you were just talking about, the atonement and the correcting of our own perceptions. And, and in that way, we can be released from the negative consequences. Uh, I think of um, the universe being like a GPS, like you've written about. Absolutely. And, and I love that part well, the uni- about life because I you. made some mistakes. And yeah, and, and yeah. thank God someone else is helping align me back on my course because that is what I want. The universe is self-organizing and the universe is self-correcting. The Course in Miracles says there is no order of difficulty in miracles. And so if we're stuck, if we feel like we're stuck, the universe is never stuck. But if we are withholding forgiveness, if we are not atoning for our mistakes, if we're grasping for things outside ourselves, it's that we're stuck. And the universe would be more than glad to take it from here when we let go the thoughts that deflect the miracles by blocking our love. You know, the embryo doesn't have to struggle to become a baby. The acorn doesn't have to struggle to become an oak tree. The universe, nature, the laws of nature work through all things to guide them to their highest. And we are all programmed, just like every cell in the body is programmed. We are programmed to rise to our highest level of creative possibility in this lifetime. Yes. And, you know, a, a cell in the body actualizes and then collaborates with other cells to serve the healthy functioning of the whole. And every once in a while, a cell disconnects from its natural intelligence, and it goes it off, can, it goes yeah. insane, it goes off to do its own thing. That's called cancer. cancer. Yes. It's a malignancy in the body, and it's a li- malignancy in consciousness. And that's what's happened to our, to our world. There's a malignant consciousness which has infected the human race, and we are all about me. As opposed to we. we. And we're just thinking in terms of what I can get from something rather than what I can contribute. That's, that's dangerous to the body and it's dangerous to human civilization. And, but we're waking up to that. That's the good news. More and more people, it's like, oh, I get it. It's not just about me. It's about we. It's not just about my making my dreams come true. It's about my collaborating with others to make everything better for everyone. And the more we do this, the more life, you know, slowly sometimes but surely we begin to change and our lives begin to change. And 
all of a sudden you wake up one day and you go, you know, I had a pretty good day yesterday. It was, it was more happy than not. And, um, and more peaceful That's really than our not. goal here. Mm-hmm. So I like to ask every guest, what, what is it that you want to leave the world? And, and all that you do, Marianne, what, how, how do you conceptualize <clears throat> that to answer? What do you want to leave as your legacy? I don't know about legacy. I, I know that I, I feel my mother's presence. Mm. And I want my daughter to feel my presence when I'm gone. I want my daughter to feel the peace uh, with my passing that I feel with my mother's passing. But I know that you have to go through the sadness first. So when I think about when I'm gone, you know, whatever, uh, the beauty, the privilege of writing a book is that your words remain. Mm-hmm. My lectures remain if they <clears throat> give anyone any comfort or insight. That's a very beautiful thing. But I think when I think about really at my deepest place about that, I think of my own daughter and the people that I'm closest to, and I hope that I hope that they will remember me with smiles. That's the legacy I would like to leave, that someone smiles, whether it's someone I know or someone I don't know, that, that someone I would like to think somebody smiles because of something I did or something I said or something I wrote. I think that's beautiful. Like you, like you said earlier, that as you grow in, in wisdom and spiritual truth, that it gets simpler. And how beautiful, simple, and powerful that is. Thank you. You're welcome. So mm-hmm. people can reach you, I know, at Marianne.com for your live streams, your books, including Tears to Triumph. Everything that you put out there is on Marianne.com, correct? Absolutely. And people can also find the book, of course, at Amazon.com or at any most major booksellers and or independent booksellers. And, uh, you know, the books out there, if if they want, go to my Facebook page, go to my uh, Twitter, be part of whatever would be of service to you. And uh, particularly, I hope the words in the book are helpful. Yes. Marion, thank you for spending your time with me today. It means so thank much. Thank you so much. All my best to you. Same here. Bye. God bless. Bye. That concludes our show for today. Join back next week where we will have another episode of All Things Therapy. Take care. You're listening to All Things Therapy with Lisa Tahir only.